directly this morning to 1 John 1. I realize we are very few, but I also know God knew, has always known, should be here, and if I am correct in having the direction and guidance of the Spirit of God, He has fixed it right now for us. No one else. It's yours first. There are others that God may be pleased to make it bread to them later. Juanita was very thankful for a message from here, I don't know how long ago, that God was pleased to bless it to her heart in a time of need on those words of Christ to Peter, I have prayed for thee. So we never know who out there might be helped later on. But right now, at the present time, it is for you. I walked out this morning and there was this young, well, six months, year, two years, I don't know, very young, stray dog could count, I guess, every rib. And I know the one thing you don't do is feed stray animals. But for some reason, I've got a very sensitive heart, especially if any are mistreated. And I was going to Take it and took out a couple of pieces of bread and would have fed it. Toby's dogs would have turned their nose up. There he is. He can buy the food, feed them whatever he wants. But they would never, they wouldn't get up for a piece of bread. And yet that dog was so afraid of human beings that it hobbled off on three legs. I think sometimes we get
so much of the blessings of God, not great as they were in bygone years, but in comparison to the day, we get so much. In those days that the Lord is pleased to shower light upon His holy word, to shine light in our hearts, I think we become like those dogs that have anything they want to eat and wouldn't make an effort to get a piece of bread. Do we? And take for granted the very little things of God, the small beginnings. And take for granted a crumb because we want more. And carelessly handle what we call the little things of God. He'll never trust you with greater things, with more things, until you make use of the little He gives you. May the Lord help us, dear children, how we need Him. Would you pray with me? Eternal God and Father, we've been, I trust, by grace, walking with you for some time now. And sometimes we get very careless towards thee. Towards Christ and become dull and insensitive to the direction of the Spirit of God. I pray you'd forgive and help us. And if it is pleasing this day, Let all of us, and hopefully drawing nigh to Thee, walk out of here with a greater devotion, a more sobering desire within to please, to serve, to glorify. Lord, I know that human words can never, ever affect another heart except the Spirit of God apply them. 
And would you be pleased this day to take thy word. And the very being of God. And clear up within us. These things that need be. Lord, I know that through the abundance of thy grace, and I feel not only me, but these, that thou, O God, hast given us much. And to whom much is given, much is required. Help us to handle rightly heaven's bread, heaven's rain, heaven's blessings. And would you give us this day just a little clearer sight of the Lord Jesus that we walk out so different than that wherein we walked in. Continue to bless the worship service this day. And help the dear souls that cannot be here, hindered physically, providentially. I pray you'd be with them. And I pray for your church as she gathers today, wherever the little flock might be. You'd call all of us on to a closer, holier, more dedicated walk. And expand, O oh God, our hearts in love and adoration and thankfulness. And if you do these things for us, Surely, none of us can help but say, the Lord has once again proved himself very, very good to my soul. Help us, we pray, physically to speak, mentally and most of all, correctly from the heart. These folks don't need any more head knowledge.
Give us a heart that runs after Thee. We ask in Christ's name. And we ask for His great name's sake. Amen. First John chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 7. I hope you'll take time, sometime throughout the week, to go back and read all of it. It's a very short chapter. Verse number 7, 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of, Je- the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us. Oh, that's an ongoing process. I know in the actual redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ that all the children were forgiven in Christ. When he said, it is finished. But none of us have an awareness of that. The reality of that. Until by experience, through birth, we grow in knowledge and in truth to find out we are forgiven. He is a forgiving God, but it's all upon the basis of the blood of Christ. And as we walk in the light and fellowship with each other and with Christ through the Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, maybe a few minutes upon that word, confess. But the message this morning is, God is Faithful and just. I want to look at those two words. As in our Father, He is faithful and He is just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, an ever-ongoing process until you're saved to sin no more. If we say that we have not sinned, we 
make him God a liar. Now I know that you're thinking and your words or actions can never change the character of God, the being of God, except in you. God cannot lie. But if you say, then to you God is a liar. And God is to you whatever you think He is. And a great part of salvation is God clearing up all these idols that we have about God. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Practical, experiential Christianity has taken the wings of the morning. And seemingly flown off into a wilderness out there somewhere. And you don't find many people that can say, as John said, and we know that the Son of God is come. And we know that the Son of God has given us an understanding. The Son of God has given us an understanding. Flesh and blood cannot reveal these things unto you, Simon, son of Jonas, Simon, son of Jonas, but my Father. We know that the Son of God has come. We know that He has given us an understanding that we might know Him that is true, and that we are in Him. One thing the apostle prayed for that church at Ephesus, which probably had more light than any that he ever wrote to, was that they might know the love of God, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Again, the human mind is so limited that the mind cannot come up to cannot comprehend, cannot know the love of Christ. It is impossible. And salvation is not somebody attending or standing down in front of a, of a building or a group of people and saying, I do. To accept a man or a woman as spouse. Salvation is union. Salvation is living with and getting to know the one that you said to the one officiating, officiating the ceremony, I will take that man. 
Salvation is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. When the two of his disciples are looking at the Lord Jesus and he turns them over to him, to the, them to him, and they follow him and abide with him that evening. Salvation is the forerunner when some come and say, he's got more disciples than you. And he would say, I'm not here to get disciples. I am here to point men and women to the Lamb of God. And this he is, for I was told that the one in which the Spirit of God would descend upon and stay there, that this would be he. So salvation is the forerunner of Christ in our day, the Spirit of God taking the very things, the very heart, the very mind of God and of Christ, and presenting them unto you and wooing you in such a manner and fashion that you do say, as Rebecca, I will go with this man. But the beginning of the journey was not salvation. The saying, I will, was not salvation. The beginning of salvation was when she asked who that man was. And finding out that this was the one she had been told of, she lights off the camel, veils her face, and goes to meet him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee. And... He, Isaac, takes her into his tent, and she becomes his wife. But that's just the beginning of salvation. Days, months, and years of living with, she begins to know Isaac. Now, our text said, if we confess, that's been reduced to a little more than a legal action, where you just sign a piece of paper and say, yeah, I am a sinner. There are a few states, four I know of, maybe more, in our land that still honors marriage by proxy. Maybe to somebody that's sick and can't be there, one one of them. Maybe to someone that's serving in the military and cannot be there and another stands in their place. I'm not talking about marriage by proxy. I'm not talking about a legal action of you just saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. And you think because you say that, that it is acceptable. The word confess comes from two words, which means say the same thing about. It is you coming in agreement with God. You taking God's side 
against your own self. For sin strikes at the very being of God. And if you confess your sins, that is you standing on God's side in agreement with God that He's right, and you're wrong. In agreement with God that He is holy. You deserve punishment. That God is just. And if justice is served on you, then eternal life will not be your reward, but an endless eternal dying. In the lake of fire. Sin enthroned itself upon our very hearts when we came into the world. Sin was our governor. It was our Lord. It reigned. It controlled us. And confessing means that we turn to God and say, Lord, you're right. I am guilty. I am undone. I deserve hell. I don't deserve a favor. And confessing means in salvation, If God's pleased to have mercy upon a confessing sinner, it means a change in your Lord. We were rebels against God. And God breaks the will of that rebellion. Salvation marriage it is both walking away from father and mother and family And in the end, walking away from self and living completely outside self for the well-being and the benefit of the other person. Not many true marriages in their day. To confess means that we agree with God in what God says about sin. And if you want to know, if you really want to know, well, my sin's not too big. If you really want to know what God thinks about sin, and you want to see God's anger against the wicked every day, take a view at Calvary.
and see the object of God's heart and of God's love being tossed aside, turning his back upon him, and giving him over to wicked men to do as they please. If you want to see something of God and his, and his attitude towards sin, knowing that God in no way can clear the guilty, except there be an adequate and sufficient sacrifice. God can't overlook one, not one, not one single sin in your life. And not only the outward sin, but God cannot overlook the springboard from which all sin originates. And that is that that prompted ye to sin. And so in our confession we come to an agreement with God as a guilty sinner. And say, Lord, if justice is served. We live in a day when everybody thinks God owes them. Lord, if justice is served, then you will rightly consign me to your eternal Wrath. Confession. And Aaron and the priest would bring out the live goat that was to be turned loose after they'd sacrificed one. Confession is Aaron and the priest laying their hands upon the head of that sacrificial lamb and saying, you're about to die. You've never done anything in your life. Fulfilled your purpose and existence in life every day you've been living. Unlike me, that's been a rebel against God all my life until... He had mercy. I'm the one, I'm the one that ought to die. You're not going to get saved until you're honest with God. Put your hands on Christ's head. Say, I'm the one that's guilty, not you. I'm the one It ought to be dying, not you. And confession has very little to do about the results of sin. Everybody accepts Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. Christian finds out my sins cost Christ an eternal hell. 
Now, I don't know how that is. I, I can't explain it. But he paid an eternal, he paid equal what you could not pay through all eternity on that cross. Confessions, David. David had wronged Israel. He had wronged Bathsheba. He had wronged Uriah. He had wronged his family. He had created, he had wrought much havoc in Israel because of his sin. But I want you to listen to him in the 51st Psalm before God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. What about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? What about that newborn baby dying for your sin? What about Israel? What about your family? Right now, he's before God because that's all he can deal with right now. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And Joshua brought Achan out. Brought Achan out when the lot fell on him. And he stood before the congregation of Israel. And he said, my son, give God the glory and make confession. And Achan said, I saw a few shekels of silver. I saw... A wedge of gold. And I saw Babylonish garment that I thought looked good on me or my wife. And I took it. Now just think for a moment. The day prior, God called all Israel and told Joshua, the man that's done this, is going to pay. Achan had all night. And for the hours the next morning that it took in casting the lots over tribes and families and households and men, had all that time. And he kept putting it off. Because there's something about sin that's got a hardening, deceiving, Power with it. And you keep putting off. And God gives you the night time. And God gives you the morning hours. And you, and you, and you sense that the hangman's noose is getting closer being placed around your neck. And you keep putting it off. Until finally it's too late, and the judge of all the earth will bring you before everybody. They say, now, son, give God the glory. And you'll make confession in that day. 
I sinned against thee. I thought that I'd get right sometime. I rebelled against thee all my life. And from your knees you are called Christ Jesus, Lord. But you won't call him Lord as the saints do when they enter glory, or even now. If we confess. But I want us to look at the next two words. God is faithful. Folks, there's nothing that strikes the heart of God or a heart of an honest man more than somebody else calling him a liar. And if we had the privilege to call all the redeemed saints in glory back here to give a testimony, and ask them, was there ever a time, was there ever a moment that God ever proved to you to be untrue, to be unfaithful. There wasn't a one of them, be it Joseph coming from the prison, Moses not entering the promised land, dying by the very stroke of God. Abraham blundering, doubting, trying to help God fulfill His promise. Not a one of them could bring a charge against God and say, well, there were about two minutes one day when I found out that God wasn't honest and faithful. God's proved to us a thousand times over. Get every time we get in a compressed, narrow, difficult, stray, we begin wavering. And we begin looking at the waves. And we begin looking at the, at the results of the high wind. And we begin doubting God's been faithful all our lifetimes and let this one thing come up. And doubt raises its ugly head in every one of us. God is faithful. And I saw heaven open Revelation 19 in a white horse. Except this white horse is coming to earth on a different mission than that first one that we read about of those other four colored horses. For I saw upon this white horse he that is called faithful and true. But this time a sword 
is coming out of his mouth and blood is going to flow this time because men's had time to get right with God and they thumb their nose at God. This time he's coming not with the sword of his word, but with the sword of condemnation. And he's coming in faithfulness. And he that comes is true. He rides, he rides your way every day. And he's called faithful and true. I don't care what the strength is. God's faithful to you. He will see you through it. I pray, God, that your whole body, spirit, and soul be sanctified and your body preserved. Paul said, faithful is he that called you who will also do this. Love God thundered from Mount Sinai. If a man blunders, falls, doesn't keep this law in its entirety, then the holiness of God and the justice of God can do nothing more than send that condemned guilty soul to hell. The holiness of God requires that every jot and every tittle from the law be fulfilled. And that God cannot relinquish even the smallest detail, the smallest aspect of that law. For the law is but a declaration and manifestation of the character of God. And it says, except a man come up to this character. He cannot in no wise enter glory. Except he become as righteous as Christ. Except he be clothed in his righteousness and his lifetime manifest a striving after holiness once being robed in that righteousness, he cannot, he cannot enter glory. The justice of God demands that you be as righteous as God's Son. That's far beyond that which I can get if I live to be the age of Methuselah and spend every day devoted to Christ. And get there. Let me give you two passages. Let us look together at two passages. Joshua chapter number 8. They just stoned Achan. In chapter 7. And they've just destroyed Ai, wherein they had lost in the first battle, I think, 37 men. 
because of one man's sin. By the way, Achan didn't die alone that day. His wife, his little boys, his little girls were all stoned. He didn't just sin privately against God. He brought condemnation upon his entire family. They took all his herd out and destroyed them. Because there couldn't be anything coming from that man ever worthy to be offered to God by way of sacrifice. They piled a big pile of stones there. Chapter 8, they defeat Ai. Now verse number 33. Well, verse 32. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark, and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant, the Lord, as well the stranger as he that was born among them, half of them over against uh, Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of God. Gerizim, that's the mountain. Moses said, we'll sound We'll sound the blessings from. But over on the other side of the valley, there's another mountain called Ebal. And that's the mountain that you'll sound the curses of God from. So you got, you got some over here on this mountain saying these are the blessings of God. And you got some over here on Ebal saying these are the curses of God. Now do, and you shall live. But man found out that he couldn't do. So Jesus Christ descended from the mount, went down into the valley, not of the shadow of death, but into the valley of death, ascended the other mount of God's curses. And he bore the curse put upon every son of Adam that would be redeemed. And then he ascended back to the mountain of God's blessings. Now God says, if we agree with, if you agree with me about yourself and the condition of your sin, then you'll find out that I'm faithful. And if you don't agree with me, you're going to find out that I'm not going to be faithful. I'm going to be the opposite of what I said I'd be to you if you don't come up to true confession. And it was from these two mountains that the blessings and the curses of God descended upon them. God is faithful. Now let's look at the word just. That's the one word I fear. That's the one word I don't want any part of. I don't know how long I've been serving the Lord. I don't know. I don't know how long I've been a child of God. I don't know. I I know I've been in 
in the ministry a long time. And I think somewhere in that time, I don't know if it was prior, if it had been dear, I don't know. But that doesn't bother me too much right now. But I know if I could put every day and every hour and all the times that I have tried somewhat to devote myself to the Lord and to the ministry of His Word in seeking out and searching and setting before you, if I could put all those good things over here in a pile, I still don't want the justice of God. For I never have done any of them perfectly. None of them. So I only ask for mercy. Mercy is that aspect of God within every sinner. Who has by the Spirit of God been made guilty before the Lord. Looking and hoping and begging that maybe God just won't be just. But in that day he might, he might have mercy upon me. And justice, the, the true condition that I, I fear and I stand before God or bow before God and say, Lord, I know if justice was served, if justice was served, I could never look upon your face in peace. And I only can ask for mercy. I don't drag one, one duty to base my standing upon before God. I leave them all behind and wall my righteousness and climb upon that pile of filthy rags and say, Grant mercy. Had the prodigal approached his father in any manner other than that which he approached him, I doubt he would have got to hear it. Dad, I know I, I was wrong and I spent all my living but would you loan me $200 so I can get my life straightened out? He'd been kicked out. Dad, I know I've spent it all, but would you just give me enough to get another change of clothes and get a good bath and get this stench off me? He came the only way a sinner can come. Condemned in his own conscience. Guilty, hoping for mercy. But I'm not looking at the justice here in that aspect. God is faithful and God is just. That means God is just in his dealings with all his children. Now upon the basis of Christ and Christ alone can God act towards me justly. And you think I can consider the depth to which Christ went and to presume upon God for a careless, cold, indifferent heart, a life without some devotion 
Do you think that I would presume upon that innocent victim to live my days only by the dictates of flesh? A certain evidence, a positive evidence that you are making progress in spiritual growth and sanctification. A lot of folk in the, in the Reformed or Baptists out there, they hate the word sanctification, but it's biblical. The one sure evidence of your development and growth in the sanctification and spirituality is an increase in knowledge of what you are. Only a guilty sinner needs mercy. And the more you grow, the more you will become aware of how much mercy you need. And a lot of God's children get baffled here because in the progress and development you seem to be going down. And the tree seems to be dying and not bearing any fruit. But it's just God getting you to the place. It's God causing you to send out those roots so that they've got the, the rock to clench to. Dig deeper in the soil. And you're not growing upward. But if in the heart of hearts, your heart of hearts, you're becoming more aware of just who you are, then sanctification is taking place. Your salvation might have been real. The Pharisees and religious people are concerned with one thing and one thing only, and that's the appearance of sin. If I don't do anything outwardly, then I'm okay. And the religious crowds, they're satisfied with this superficial righteousness because they don't do. Maintain an outward morality. I'll send you to hell quicker than anything. God's people are moral. But morality is not part of their sanctification or a little part. Because they begin to see that the death of Christ was far more than just for my outward sins. And the developing child begins to see that the death of Christ has to do also with the principle upon which all my sin and actions are motivated. And the Christian is becoming to see that the death of Christ not only brought pardon for their guilty soul, but it brought, brought to God their sanctification and the subduing of all their sins. Now let me close in asking all of you a very personal question. And I hope you'll hear me here. 
Are you getting to the place where in your heart there is a consciousness in your approaching God where he takes on the nature of a father? Jesus said, when you pray, you enter the closet, you shut the door, and you pray to your Father. Is God becoming that to you? How can you claim to be a child if God is not becoming your Father? Folk, I've long time. Many years I've preached to you on not trusting your feelings as an evidence of salvation. Well, let me just add to that. If there are no feelings, then you are dead. If the heart is not moved towards God as your Father, and for years and upon years, I have thought about that. David was a man after the heart of God. And I believe I'm beginning to see a little flicker of light. We're satisfied with our heads being after the knowledge of God. We know so much. What about your heart after not God's mind. God's heart. We seem so content with facts. If we confess. Okay, I'm going to confess. Well, if we confess, God is faithful and just. Now, just is a guilty sinner finding mercy, and from then on, finding God to be just. And you can even press upon the heart of God for Him to be just towards you because of His dear Son. May God... Do something within us. Give us a heart. Give it, get something started within us. Till we can't rest. Until we're laying our heads on the bosom of Christ Jesus.